Telofalava. This is Pacific Waves from RNZ Pacific. I'm Elisha Foon. Coming up, Pacific countries raise concerns over seasonal worker schemes in Australia and New Zealand. Also, they all have a right to, to know exactly what the hell is going on. The devil's in the detail. The Tuvalu-Australia Treaty comes under scrutiny by Tuvalu's former Prime Minister. And later... I only have one question for you. Ready to have some fun? The first ever Samoan hero is introduced to the gaming world. Some Pacific countries are questioning the benefits of the seasonal worker schemes in Australia and New Zealand. In the year to June 2023, 48,000 people left the island nations to participate in the schemes. But Pacific leaders in Samoa, Vanuatu and Fiji have expressed concern. Samoa's Prime Minister Fiami Naomi Mata'afa says countries such as hers shouldn't be seen merely as outposts which grow labourers for developed countries. Caleb Fotheringham has more. In January this year, Samoa's government passed its seasonal worker program, concerned by the loss of skilled labour, worker welfare and social problems associated with the schemes. Now the country is introducing a cap on the number of workers it sends to New Zealand and Australia. Samoa's Trade Commissioner, Va'atu Itu'i Apiti Meredith, says they have caused some negative economic impacts. Before, it was only New Zealand that had caps per annum of the number of workers they can bring in to New Zealand, but now we are introducing a cap ourselves. Samoa's new policy, which is still being finalised, will prioritise those not in paid work. Those vulnerable communities are the ones that don't have the access to employment. They're basically like the unemployed or the unemployable. The number of Pacific Island seasonal workers coming to Aotearoa has doubled in the last decade and has jumped by almost a third in the last three years. Part of the new government's coalition agreement shows it will increase the cap, but by an unspecified amount. That's a call by the New Zealand government themselves in terms of their needs. Based on our needs, we need to cap so that we retain some of our own productive sector personnel back home. Senior Massey University lecturer Dr Api Morvenor told Nine to Noon remittances were hitting record highs in Fiji, but it has come at a social cost. He says villages are being emptied of workers. We are separating fathers from their children. In some instances, uh, children are left uh, with their grandparents or other relatives to be able to allow for both parents to travel on these skills. Massey's co-director of Pacific Research, Professor Regina Scavens, also told Night to Noon about one-fifth of Vanuatu's and Samoa's productive male workforce has left for New Zealand or Australia. That means there's not maths teachers in some classrooms. That means there's mechanics missing from workshops, uh, bank tellers, gone farmers, not there producing food. So it has huge impacts. Imagine if 20% of New Zealand's productive population went offshore. Dr Morvenor says it's the big country's responsibility to address the problems. They have the money, they have the expertise, and it is in their interest to invest in Pacific Islanders and to listen to what Pacific Island leaders are saying. Because what they're saying is there is a problem here. Meanwhile, two in-depth reports into Pacific Labour schemes says overall they have had a positive impact. The studies conducted by the World Bank and the Australian National University interviewed more than 2,000 workers from Kiribati, Tonga and Vanuatu. Tongan workers can earn about four times what they would back home, and the Vanuatu can earn up to ten times more. 
One of the co-authors, Zhang Dawn, recommends New Zealand should model Australia to allow Pacific workers to stay longer. The contract duration is one to four years, and our view is, given the large benefit of this scheme, especially in, in economic terms, something similar could be introduced in New Zealand context as well. Because, as you know, the RSE is only for seasonal works, and the contract is less than a year. Ms. Dawn says the schemes also improved worker relationships with their families, largely because it removed a lot of stress surrounding money. The former Prime Minister and now opposition leader of Tuvalu would scrap the Tuvalu-Australia Treaty if elected as Prime Minister at the upcoming election. Eneli Sopoanga told Lydia Lewis while Tuvalu shares a strong relationship with Australia, he believes the treaty attacks the sovereignty of the Tuvalu people. Let me put it this way. Seriously, I haven't seen the uh, original copy of the uh, treaty, of the agreement. It was not circulated to the parliament of Tuvalu, nor to the people of Tuvalu. None of that happened. Uh, And therefore, the treaty was uh, done between the two prime ministers themselves in the Cook Islands. And that's the situation uh, right now. I moved a motion uh, to do the ratification, to ratify the agreement first, and then uh, allow the people to make a decision. All the people of Tuvalu, both in in Tuvalu, in uh, New Zealand, Aotearoa, those in Fiji, Nauru, Kiribati, uh, the states, Australia, those these Tuvaluans, the diaspora, must be given a chance to say something on this, uh, you know, agreement. But the first of all, they have to understand what is there in order for them to decide for themselves. Uh, that's my uh, my pr- proposal, my plan to Parliament. Uh, unfortunately, my motion was voted like uh, nine to five nine uh, against from the government and five of us are supporting my motion. So uh, as far as the parliament of Tuvalu is concerned, that was the outcome. But there is a a very, very amplified, loud opposition from the people of Tuvalu in in Tuvalu and outside of Tuvalu uh, expressing concerns that these things that affects their their sovereign rights, their sovereignty, their islands, beautiful islands, oceans and, and land and those things are being uh, eroded and impeached on by some some sort of arrangements uh, that they never knew was being dropped on their on their laps. So that's the situation now. So have you requested to see the treaty? Will you be given this treaty to read, given that you are the opposition leader? I have requested, put a request on the floor of Parliament. And I have, in fact, uh, right in front of the the Prime Minister, I said, the treaty, the version that I am uh, referring to now, uh, was the the copy that I pulled out of the uh, Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade of uh, Australia in Canberra. Of course, they have this uh, online uh, library that we can tap into. But formally from the government, from the government of Tuvalu, as a paper to parliament, nothing has, has really come out, nothing. So, which is really bad. The more important thing now is the, the voice of the people of Tuvalu.
to voice their rights. We need to hear what the people, especially the young guys, the poor and the youth, because they are the people who are going to inherit the sort of things that we leaders are doing right now. So the young people of Tuvalu, wherever they may be, in Australia, New Zealand, Fiji, uh, Nauru, Kiribati, they all have a right to, to know exactly what the hell is going on with regards to their uh, fundamental rights. So I, I'm going to organize that sort of advocacy between now and elections. Of course, I'm, I will be using as a, as a campaign uh, a message because I, I truly believe we need to help save Tuvalu. We, we really uh, need to protect and save Tuvalu for the future of the Tuvalu. Do you believe that the Tuvalu-Australia Treaty will do this? The Tuvalu-Australia Treaty, as I can understand now, it will never do that. In fact, it will only attack the sovereignty uh, rights of the Tuvalu people. It is a one-sided treaty, as far as I can understand it. It's it's, uh, being used as a carrot in front of the, the eyes of the Tuvalu people, money, relocation, resettlement, things that are not based on any uh, source or elements of international law. Nothing of that sort is relevant to Tuvalu. We know, you know, the climate change refugees, there is not, no, nowhere. There is nothing like that in the international law. The only definition of refugees refers to political displaced people by political conflicts in their own country. We don't have conflicts in Tuvalu. The only serious problem now is because caused by greenhouse gases, like what Australia is doing to coal mining, they are killing the people of Tuvalu. There is no conflict. There is no conflict whatsoever. So I think it is a, 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 a mammoth, a important task for leaders of Tuvalu to stand up, to really stand up because this is serious. And I, I completely uh, share the views of my fellow Tuvaluans elsewhere in New Zealand, Australia. People have been ringing to me to say, to express their great concerns. So let's work on that basis. But the, the uh, relations of Tuvalu uh, with Australia are the best. In fact, they are the best in bilateral relations that we can look at, ODA-wise training. I went to a couple of universities myself when I was uh, an educator. I went to Sydney University, to Macquarie University, to ANU. Uh, we all learned this and uh, we benefited from Australia, uh, from the special relations and hardly any any need for a defined, well, highly politicized uh, treaty like the Falipidi Treaty to uh, ignore the good relations we've had with Australia uh, and sidestep by looking at uh, selling and exchanging sovereignty rights. But you know you know very well in the treaty substance, Australia is not giving anything out to Tuvalu, nothing, nothing at all. It sees, in fact, tying Tuvalu to its treaty and agreements with other third parties like the AUKUS, it's bound, binding Tuvalu to, to follow as well the requirement of the AUKUS that is based on nuclear-powered submarines. Come on. You must be joking.
for Tuvalu to follow that type of uh, ambitious unknown, unknown treaty that Australia is pursuing with UK and, uh, and the US? You must be kidding. These are the very things that the Pacific Island countries, including Tuvalu, way back in the Rarotonga Treaty, signed on and said, no, post by your own country, New Zealand. Uh, and we just have to recall what happened to the Rainbow Warrior right in the harbor of Auckland. We are getting into a very complicated situation in the Pacific because of this uh, unfortunate agreement by Australia and Tuvalu. Solomon Islands men's football team have qualified for the Pacific Games Grand Final for the first time in 12 years. The hosts beat Fiji 2-0 in their semi-final match at Lawson Thomas Stadium in front of a sea of adoring fans. But their opponents New Caledonia, who beat Vanuatu 1-0 in their semi-final match, are an old nemesis. The Cargos beat the Bonitos the last time they reached the finals, which was in 2011 in Noumea. Solomon's team captain, Micah Lea Alafa, says they will need to dig deep if they want to create history at the National Stadium in Honiara this Saturday. I thought we dominated them, to be honest. Um, we controlled the tempo of the game with and without the ball. They were dangerous on the break, and that, evident, that was evident with the goal at the end, uh, and the penalty perhaps to a degree. But I would say, by and large, I was really pleased with our tactical footprint. And the boys have improved in that end, and there's room for manoeuvre, definitely. The Fiji men's football coach says he is pleased with the way his team performed in the Pacific Games semi-finals, despite losing 2-0 to host Solomon Islands. Rob Sherman's side controlled the tempo for much of the game, forcing Solomon Islands to play mostly on the counter-attack, but they were unable to convert in front of goal. Mr Sherman says all things considered, he's proud of the boys. Well, it's going to be a tough one, and we have to come out strong. To, if we want to win the world, we have to push, we have to give everything in the final game. So it's going to be a hard game for us. And, yeah, the, I believe the boys will come out strong and give everything for this, for this country and, yeah, nation. The first ever Samoan hero has been introduced to the gaming world. The Overwatch series is an online game with a daily average of close to 2 million players who get to select their characters from a roster of 39 heroes. Samoan character Monga is the latest addition. Blizzard is one of the biggest gaming companies in the world, producing iconic video game series such as Warcraft, Starcraft and Diablo. Finofonoa spoke to the Blizzard game developers about Monga and his Polynesian flair. Earlier this month, the highly anticipated Samoan warrior Maunga arrived to the world of Overwatch. Maunga, which means mountain in Samoan, is a fitting name for the large, chiseled and heavily tattooed character who wields chain guns in both hands. He is the largest of all the 39 heroes in Overwatch, offering a brute force experience. Narrative designer Kyung Soo Min says Manga is one of the biggest personalities in the game. Manga is our Samoan hero and he was part of like an eco-rebel warrior group. So he was fighting corporations and people who were just like disrespecting the nature and beauty of Polynesian islands. Yeah, he's super joyful and big guy, big voice. You know, he's the type of guy where we say like, He's the center of the party, but you don't want to cross him. You never want to be his enemy. I wasn't always the friendly, carefree guy you see before you today. (laughs) 
I used to take things very seriously. When it comes to video games, Pacific Islander characters are usually only found in the sporting simulations of American football and professional wrestling. Off a play action, tongue by lower. The 2002 family-friendly Lilo and Stitch video game was popular among children. It was set in Hawaii with Hawaiian characters and Hawaiian music. Listen, Lilo, I've got to go to work now, so I'll meet you in town at one o'clock, okay? Okay. Come on, Stitch. We can get some more photos for my wall. Pacific Islanders would occasionally appear as non-playable characters in blockbuster games. Such as Samoan gang members in Grand Theft Auto V. Hey, you papa, get back here! You like hospitals, huh? You must like hospitals. Or the character Sinamoy, the leader of a group of survivors in the tropical zombie apocalypse of Dead Island 2. Name's John Sinamoy. The head lifeguard here. We need to move everybody to the main lifeguard station. Overwatch art director Don Rogers says manga had been developed over five years. He said the Overwatch team was looking for a character who would fit the category of tank hero, a large Hulk with less speed but greater firing power. Rogers says when they design characters, they want a distinct look that fits the size and prowess of the particular character. We want to make characters that people either want to be directly related to some culture. We decided that、um, Samoa would be a great、uh, person to represent this kind of larger silhouette that we that kind of is required of the gameplay for a tank. And you know, we do a ton of research with Samoan, Polynesian. We narrowed down on what's the right. Manga's introduction to Overwatch coincided with BlizzCon, an annual convention hosted by Blizzard in Irvine, California, earlier this month. The event, which attracts thousands of gamers, promotes the latest Blizzard games. A special panel was held to discuss manga. Senior test analyst Foster Elmendorf told fans that manga's fighting prowess had to distinctly match his size and bigger-than-life persona. We kept coming back to manga's personality, and that he's this big guy. He's smart. He's very aggressive. How can we nail down this personality type? How do we make the hero he's supposed to be? We developed that mentality, but that physicality, and that was in tandem with. Ability design, and then also with art, where we looked at okay, how do we represent this giant of a man? And it came down to giant guns. Sizzling. One central figure in the development of manga was New Zealand Tongan actor John Dui, who voiced manga. Overwatch game developers praised Dui for bringing the character's personality to life. Narrative designer Kyungsu Min says John Tui's cheerful and boisterous voice embodied the character they were looking for. Our team was like going nuts. John Tui just delivered this beautiful performance. He's like this big voice, life of the party, just like a joyous guy. But he also has a dark edge. There are lines in the game where the delivery and the acting of it just like gave everyone chills. He really nailed the part. I work hard, and I play hard. So I only have one question for you: Ready to have some fun?
minute specific waves for today. To listen back, head over to rnzi.com slash programs. We're also on Apple, Spotify and iHeartRadio podcasts. From myself and the RNZ Pacific team, Tofa Soi Fua.